support. We're going to be looking tonight at God's word. We're going to be looking at what I'm calling up close and personal part two. So part one, which we looked at last Sunday, we looked at the idea that now that we are living in lockdown circumstances, not everybody, some people have lots of space, but now that we're living in lockdown circumstances, for lots of people, it's become really difficult dealing with and living with people up close and personal. And we are experiencing that, whether we're experiencing it now in the middle of lockdown, or whether when we get back to normal life, we will be experiencing what it's like to live up close and personal with people. I was looking at the scriptures, uh, specifically I was looking at Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians last Sunday morning. I was looking at them because I was looking at what Paul was saying about how we should live when we're living up close and personal one to the other. What I looked at was the idea that Paul borrows and takes from the idea that we were citizens of heaven and that we should remain and should be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That however we lived, we represented heaven. We represented Jesus wherever we went. I quoted a guy called Jim Wallace and Jim Wallace made this statement. He said, faith is always personal and never private. It is always personal, but it's never private. We are supposed to live out our faith in the public sphere, amongst people. The people who know us should know that we are people of faith. It's not a private matter just between us and God. It is effectively a public matter. People will know that you are Christians. How else is the gospel message supposed to spread? Why is the lockdown working in controlling coronavirus? Because people are being private, staying apart, staying in their own spaces. That is how the gospel will spread when people are reconnected again one to the other. I was talking about how we, the old movement, the What Would Jesus Do movement, uh, created great waves when it challenged people to ask themselves in any situation, what would Jesus do? And I was suggesting that perhaps we need to look at our identity and our purpose and ask ourselves maybe a slightly lesser, a slightly simpler question. That is, what would a Christian in whatever we do, however we go about our business, if we are supposed to be Christians, we should represent that Christian belief, that Christian faith, that Christian life, because that's what it is, should be represented in what we do. And if there's ever a question about what we should or shouldn't do, asking the question, what would a Christian do, will actually give us a very good answer because God has told us clearly in his word what a Christian should do and how we should conduct and live ourselves. We looked at the idea that this was all connected to our identity and our purpose. Our identity is our purpose. Who we are as children of God, as representatives of Jesus, is the very purpose that God has called us for, to represent him and to take his kingdom forward. They are completely tied. And I suggested that perhaps we should go and look for our identity known. Find your identity known and live that out as a Christian. Your, your identity knowns plural. I just struck up a few of mine. I banged up that I was a dad, that I was a husband, that I was a brother, that I was a son, that I was a friend, that I was a neighbor. And I asked myself the question and I should be asking myself the question. These are my classical identity knowns. I should be asking myself the question, am I living up to the standard? Am I Am I living up to what a Christian should live like in all of these? I want to tell you something truthfully. I don't always, but I'm trying. And with God's help, 
we'll get there in the end. I don't always. And I want you to say to you just now, because I know some people will be tuning on, well, you know, I failed in this or that, or I should have done this and I should have done that. That's okay. Go to God, experience his forgiveness, experience his grace, and go back to life. Go back determined again. And one of the points I was making is about how the enemy continually tears at our identities as Christians. He consistently, constantly, and continually tries to steal your identity as a child of God from you. He has always been doing it and he will always continue to do it. And so I want to get tonight back to our scriptures, back to Colossians. I'm going to look at Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 to 13. I want you to bear in mind that when Paul is writing this, he's locked up and he's in prison and he's writing to Christians who are living and moving and active in churches all over, all over what was the then known Roman Empire. And in this letter, he's writing to the church in the city of Colossae, a city he'd never been to, but he wrote a letter to them anyway. He writes a letter to them and in this particular passage, he's writing to them about how they should behave one towards another. I quoted some of it last Sunday and this is what he said. He said, clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. You see, I know when we put that up, you go, sure, yeah. I mean, that's what Christians are supposed to do. They're supposed to clothe themselves and be tender-hearted and show kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And they make allowance for each other's faults and they forgive everyone who offends them. And it's like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. It sounds like what Christians should do. And you go, yes, well, that is what I aspire to do. And that is what I aspire to do. I hope it's what you aspire to do, too, if you're a Christian. The problem, however, happens is when we find ourselves... In a situation where somebody has really annoyed us, where somebody has really hurt us, somebody has done something wrong to us that has been really hard to forgive, or somebody is just really getting on our goat. Somebody is really getting us upset. They're either leaving the toilet seat up or leaving the toilet seat down. They're making, leaving the place a mess. It's the neighbor making noise in the middle of the night next door. It's the workmate who sells you out to the boss. It's the person who ignores your ideas and then goes and presents your ideas as theirs. It's those people. When we're in those situations, it can be very, very difficult to live out that identity. It's all good in theory until the practice gets hard. I love what the Christian writer Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, we often unconsciously proclaim who we are by the way we react to the things that happen to us. Ooh, ouch, you're just such a lovely Christian. You're going about your business as a lovely guy. Hey, he's such a nice guy. You're going about your business and everything is going fine. And then something happens. Somebody cuts you off in traffic or jumps, your, jumps you in the line in Aldi or something like that and suddenly, a different feeling comes over you. A different, almost a different power comes over you. And somehow something is revealed about what you're like. It is strange. I think it was uh, Dr. Uh, Rabbi Zachariah said, whatever is in us will spill out when we're tipped, when we're shoved, when we're knocked. Whatever's in us will spill out. And I think that that's so true. And you know, it can be so discouraging sometimes when you think, you know, you're trying your best. You're going about your business. Happened to me recently. I was trying my best. I was managing to control a situation. It was going well. I had myself under control and then suddenly something just went wrong and I didn't respond the way that I should have. And that's okay. God is good. God is gracious. I know nothing like that ever happens to you lovely people, but sometimes it happens to me. Not often, but sometimes it happens to me. You know, the problem is we have it in theory we have it written, we have it effectively in two dimensions. What we're missing is the third dimension. We've looked at the what and the why. Tonight I want to look at the how. How do 
we do it. I want to talk tonight about purpose and power, uh, even though I haven't been, I, I, I'm already into it, I just want to pick up the, pick up the train of this. This is the thought. Let, let me spell it out really simply for you. We can live the Christian life only by and with the power of God flowing through us. We can only live the Christian life only by the power of God flowing in us, with us, and through us. That's the only way to live the Christian life. You see, <clears throat> it is a Christian life. The Christian life, or the Christian, Christianity is not a theory, it's not a philosophy, it's not even really a religion in its proper sense. It's not self-help, and it's not a moral code. It is a life. And life needs power. Life needs power. You see, you can have philosophical thoughts and moral codes and ideas all you want and theories all you want, self-help all you want, but to live the Christian life, you must have power. And it's the power of God that we need in our lives. Here's what Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. He says this, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So the first clause that he's putting on here is that God is working in you. The work that's begun in you, that's God's work. He started it. He's doing it. You didn't initiate it. You weren't able to initiate it. This is not religion. Religion is, is man's pursuit of God. This was God pursuing man. He began the work in you, and he's giving you the desire. Not only, I mean, we, can, we don't even have the desire to please him until he puts that work into our lives. He gives us the desire, the want to please God, and then he gives us the power to do what pleases him. This is a doorstopper of a Bible verse when we think it through. In the old, some of the older translations said it is of God both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But here it's translated in the New Living Translation, the NLT, he's working in you, giving you the desire and the power. And this whole idea of power is absolutely soaking these three letters to the Philippians, the Colossians and the Ephesians. In actual fact, as I was reading them again today, I came across even more references. There are 15 different individual word references to the word power, talking about God's power, in these three letters alone. And in, this, in the third chapter to the Ephesians, there are five references alone talking about the power of God. Here's what he says to the Colossian church. He says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. So you have people who need to endure or have to go through difficult times. They can be relationship breakdowns. They can be unemployment. They can be struggles of all various different types and kinds. And here is what Paul is saying, that God will give you, that he's praying that we'll be strengthened with all the glorious power so we'll have all the endurance and the patience that we need. The problem is, of course, is that we don't connect to it. We'll get to that in a second. But he's saying here, God's power is available to endure and to be patient. God's power is at work in you so that you will both will and do what pleases him. He goes on to say to the Ephesians in Ephesians 3.20. I love what he says here in Ephesians 3.20. He says, now all glory to God who is able to, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You see, what we miss out here is, you know, glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us. It is a power that is already in us. God has placed his power in us. That is Christ in us. He's placed his Holy Spirit in us. It is inside already. We just need to connect 
to the power of God. And then we will be able to live patiently, humbly, graciously, forgivingly, kindly. We'll be able to live all those ways provided we get in connection with the power of God at work inside us. And it's all about power. It's about having the power to do it. Other than that, it just becomes a theory. I want to underline it again. You cannot live the Christian life except by the power of God. Except by the power of God. And we have ideas sometimes that the power of God is like, boom, wow, wow, it's power. But you know, the power of God is the one that is taking us step by step through our Christian life. The power of God is the one that is at work within us. Are you with me? I hope you are. I hope you're tuned in. I hope you're with me. The point I want to make, and I'm going to make it again, is it's not possible to live the life without the power of God being at work in us. He hasn't set before us a mountain that we can't climb. Our efforts to please God and to do all the things that we're told to live, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, we're not able to do them without the power of God floating through us. Here I want to pick up on a verse from 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter's writing his last letter to the Christians that he knew. And it's the last letter, last recorded writings of Peter before he was martyred. So you'd imagine that he's conscious and he tells them, listen lads, I'm nearly finished, I'm nearly done. God has shown me my end has come. So he writes down at the most important things that they should remember. And here's one verse from it, verse 3. One Peter, or 2 Peter 1.3 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need not some of the things we need not kind of well if you do your bit God will do his bit no he's saying God has given you everything we need for living a godly life we've received all of this how by coming to know him that's how we received it we didn't receive it by climbing a mountain or crawling up a hill somewhere on our hands and knees we didn't receive it by by doing penance we received it by coming to know him. There is a power at work in us that we just have by coming to know him. And he goes on to say this. He says, he is the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. He is the one who called us to himself. We are not the pursuer. God is the pursuer. He is the one who calls. We were talking on Sunday about being chosen, about being picked, about being the people that God chose individually to be part of his kingdom family. And I, I want, to, want to emphasize again, and I hope I'm getting through to you. It's just not possible to live the Christian life without the power of God at work within you. It's just not possible. Now, how do you get that power? How do we connect with that power? Well, let me, let me make a suggestion to you. Imagine you rang up a technical support line. Imagine you phoned up a technical support line and said, my computer's not working. What's the first question that they would ask you in the technical support line? They'd ask you, is it plugged in? Is it plugged in? Have you switched it on? Is it plugged into the wall? See, if you walked into my house, say tonight, walk into my house tonight at midnight, 
You could walk in, the house would be very quiet, everybody would be asleep, everybody well behaved, all calm and quiet, and you'd say, ah, there's not much power, there's not much going on in this house. But the truth is, the house is bursting with power. It's exploding with power. It's in every socket in the house. Enough power to kill a herd of bulls inside in the house. That's what's inside there. There's plenty of power. It just isn't plugged into at the time. There's tons and tons of power. Let me give you an example with this. This is my hairdryer. Yes, you may say, Michael has a hairdryer. You've got to be kidding me. He's got a hairdryer. Yes, I do. I have a hairdryer. Now, my hairdryer is no good because every time I go to use it, it doesn't work. My hairdryer is no good. And as you can see, I need a hairdryer. It's absolutely useless until it is plugged in. Until this part goes into the socket and powers up. This is a useless hairdryer. And suddenly, it's still a useless hairdryer. Oh, there we go. There it goes to work. And it's even got a kind of a fresh blast. And oh, that's cold. Oh, that's nice and cool. And you can kind of style your hair. I know Tom is jealous now. Look at the hairdryer. But uh, uh, here's my. And I can just get myself just right. But the only way this hairdryer will work is if I plug it into the wall. You go, what a stupid illustration, Michael. That's fair enough. I accept that criticism. It probably is a stupid illustration. But it does make the point. You must plug in to know the power. You have to plug in to know the power at work in your life. Here's what Jesus said about plugging in and connecting to the power. He said, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Unless we are connected to the source of power that is Jesus, we will not be fruitful and we will not have power going on in our lives. How do we remain? We remain in him. Stay connected to the source of power. I laughed recently. Somebody said, you know, that back in Paul's day, there was no electricity. And I thought, that's not true. There was tons of electricity, as much electricity as there has ever been. It just hasn't been harnessed. And we have our opportunity to connect to the harness power of God and to have it working in our lives. And I say that with, with a genuine heart of desire to know that power at work in my own life. And you know, sometimes we get a bit of a loose connection. Sometimes the lights flash on and off. You saw it with the lamp a second ago. Sometimes we get a loose connection. That's okay. Keep plugging it back in. Keep on plugging it back in. I want to come to, I'm coming towards a close and I want to come to this passage of scripture that was written by Paul. And again, I want you to remember the context, the context, the context is really important. He was locked in jail, first under house arrest and then in a dungeon in Rome when he wrote these letters. So he's stuck behind bars and he writes to the Philippian church and he tells them something. He says, lads, I have learned the secret of being content. I know what it's like to have plenty and I know what it's like to have nothing. I know what it's like to be well fed and I know what it's like to be hungry and yet I am content. I've learned the secret. Now the important thing to remember is he learned it. He didn't just go, ha I have the glorious secret. No, he had to learn the secret. It was a process through which he learned his contentment. But I just looked at that. I was reading it again today and I was mulling it over going, he was content to be hungry? What? He was content to have no food. He said, I have no food. Yeah, it's fine. He said, if I have plenty, hallelujah. And if I don't, I'm happy enough with that too. I'm going, gosh, 
Which one of us would say, which one of us could say, we would be content if we had no food? We've even invented a new term for it, becoming hangry. We get angry when we don't have food. One writer said that we are three days food and one night sleep away from savagery. That's how, that's how um, pampered we've become. But he said he had found that contentment. He learned the secret. And then, he's, then he gives the key to it. He says this. He says, because I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Through Christ who gives him strength, who gives him power, he was able to do everything. And in this case, this wasn't, I'm able to do everything, climb Mount Everest. I'm able to do everything, sail across the Atlantic. I'm able to do everything, climb the corporate ladder. No, this was, I am able to do everything. I'm able to be content in my circumstances. No, that doesn't mean that he was a stoic, that he was surrendered to his circumstances. He didn't look up at night and say, sure, what can I do? He didn't say that. He said, I know these circumstances are not good, but I'm content to be in them. Why am I content to be in them? Because I can do everything through him who gives me strength. What do we have to do to experience that strength at work in us? Like I said, we have to stay plugged into the vine. You know, Paul writes to the Thessalonians. He says it in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. He says, pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. You go, how can I stop praying? How can I never stop praying? I mean, there's no way I can never stop praying. He doesn't mean literally continually stopping there. What he's saying is talking about a constant recurrence of prayer. In other words, continually praying in every situation, continually praying in every endeavor, continually praying in every circumstance, recurring prayer, bringing yourself back again, reminding yourself again. And here's the point I want to make before I get done. Reminding yourself that the power is available for you to overcome that temptation. It is there for you to escape from that temptation. The power is there for you to achieve that which God has told you to do. The, the power is there for you to be able to pray. The power is there for you to be able to be kind and patient and gracious and forgiving and loving even when you don't feel like it. The power is there. We just have to be reminded by continually remembering our connection with God that the power is available to us. I remember my mother standing in the kitchen years and years and years ago when I grew up and my, my brothers were, were, were kicking off. I had a lot of brothers I had, uh, how many brothers? I had six brothers, seven boys, two girls. I had six brothers and every now and again there would be a mild schlamozzle or a little fight, you know, just kids getting rough with each other, teenagers and that. And I remember my mother shouting inside in the kitchen, give me strength! Sometimes we need to pray that prayer too. Lord, would you give me strength? Do you know, I'm facing a, di a difficult circumstance. I'm facing an annoying person or an annoying situation. I'm facing a situation that is full of temptation or difficulty or trial. We can pray, Lord, give me strength. And here's what the prophet Isaiah wrote. Many, many years ago, and we're going to finish on this note. We're going to pray in a second. I'm going to finish on this note. Here's what the prophet Isaiah wrote. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar on high, on wings like angels. Like eagles, my apologies, eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Those who trust in the Lord. It used to, the old term was those who wait upon the Lord. But to wait means to trust. And that trusting and that remaining is very active. It's not sitting down and waiting for something to happen. That 
it, it is involved in that. That is part of a relationship with God, to sit still and encounter and experience him. But in the main, it's referring to an active, living trust in him. The power comes as we go about our business, as we set out to serve God, as we set out to obey his word and how he tells us to live, the only, the best way to live. The power comes. As then it was according to the need, so the supply. According to the need in your life, so God's supply is there. He knows everything about you. Knows every hair in your head. He knows every one of your needs. He knows every one of your circumstances. He knows every one of your trials and every one of your tribulations. And according to your need, God will bring supply of power in your life so that you can overcome and live a life that will honor him and build you up. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray very briefly. I'm not going to sing a song. I'm going to sing a song called um, Everlasting God. Many of you will be very familiar with the song Everlasting God. We've been singing it for a few years. It's actually quite an old song. It's 2005, which makes it sound old now at this stage. That you would just close your eyes with me. You can stand as well if you want to. That's fine. Lift your hands. I'm going to lift one hand because I'm going to keep one hand in the guitar and I'm going to pray. Would you, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I'm going to keep this prayer simple and short. Oh God, we thank you that you have called us, you have chosen us, you have put your identity upon us and you've called upon us to live into that identity. Lord, your word says that you have given us everything we need to live the godly life, Lord. You've given us everything we need, every power that we should ever require to live a life that honours you and glorifies you has been given to us. I pray for those tonight, Lord, who are in lockdown living, who are struggling with their patience, who are struggling with their temperance and their temper, Lord, who are struggling with their circumstances. Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, that this would not just be philosophical, Lord, that this would not just be um, uh, self-help, Lord, but that this would really be a life as you intended it. As John Wesley once called the Christian faith, the life of God in the souls of men. Lord, I pray that we would know and experience your power. Moreover, Lord, I pray that we would remember to call upon you. I pray, Lord, we would remember to pray without ceasing, Lord, constantly recurring in our prayers, Lord. And may we continue to get closer to you, to remain in you, Jesus Christ, the source, the only source of our life. Lord, you, you, Peter said, Lord, to whom else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, you're the only source of our life. Lord, may we grow closer to you, remain in you, experience your life in our lives on a daily basis. As we wait upon you, we pray in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord, as we wait upon the Lord, as we wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord, as we wait upon the Lord, as we wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever. Our hope, our strong deliverer. You are the
As we wait upon the Lord, as we wait upon the Lord, as we wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord, as we wait upon the Lord, as we wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever. Our hope, our strong deliverer. You are the strength is there for us. I pray in this coming week we would plug in and connect to the power of God in every area of our lives, in every part of our lives, in every way in our lives. Bless us. Watch over us. Keep us safe, particularly the frontline workers at Grace Christian Church. Lord, we pray your blessing and your protection and your keeping would go with them. We pray that in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen. And brothers and sisters, that's us pretty well done tonight. Just remains for me to say thank you to my production team of Rory and my percussionist Elma over there who are doing a fantastic job tonight. I'm going to hand over to Tom and Denise next Sunday, next Tuesday, coming to you live from their home on the Helvick Head. Until then, brothers and sisters, may God bless you and go with you and we'll see you again soon. God bless.